This message entitled, Four Prominent Promises, was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on March 5th, 2023 by the Reverend Roy D. Warren Jr. The scripture reference is John 14. John chapter 14. Yes. Now you'll notice there's a few things Jesus being sought out by the Gentiles, uh, the Jews continuing in their unbelief, uh, Jesus being in the upper room, the washing of the disciples' feet, uh, Judas Iscariot being uh, confronted about, uh, you know, Jesus says, the one who's going to betray me is going to dip the bread in, into the bowl at the same time, and he does, and so forth. There's several things in there, but we don't have time to look at everything. Just know that all of it is going to point to Jesus being who he says he is. Okay? And he's the son of God about to go to a cross to suffer and die to take away the sin of the world and our sin in particular. Amen? But what I want to settle on here today is chapter 14. Okay? Now, since I'm going to be going over the whole thing through the message, we're not going to read it out right now, but we will. We will, and we're not going to skip this chapter. Uh, But that's why I mentioned the other things that were there, uh, you know, the washing of the feet, uh, taking the towel and wiping their feet off and, and, and so forth. There's so many things I'd like to still... Uh, you know, go over, but maybe just to mention them right now. And then you can, you know what would be a good thing? If you, in some time that you might have this afternoon or even sometime this week, go ahead and read through from chapter 12, which of course, if you'll remember, was the uh, anointing of Jesus, the beginning. And then the triumphal entry comes right after that, and I told you that. And then there's all these other things I just mentioned, the washing of the disciples' feet, etc. You can go ahead and read through. It's only a couple of chapters, really. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it's only a couple of chapters. But where we want to really focus here today are these four prominent promises, as I call them. Four prominent promises. Praise the Lord. Would you join me in prayer, please? We want to thank you, dear God, that you are giving what you would like to have in the forefront of our minds in these days. As we work our way, dear God, step by step and uh, just working our way, dear God, towards the cross, towards the tomb, towards the ascension. It's all, dear God going to make it clear, make it crystal clear, like we talked about during Epiphany, of just exactly who Jesus is. Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. We want to thank you, we praise you, and give you glory here today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John J. Jones. Funny couple of parents, they thought that was kind of cute, JJJ. <laughs> anyway, John J. Jones felt God calling him into the ministry, but he resisted and he chose instead the profession of the law. 
His son followed in his footsteps, and young Sam Jones proved a brilliant attorney at first, but then alcoholism quickly ruined his life and reduced him to shoveling coal. He was on a drinking binge when he heard of his father's illness. He rushed home, and the old lawyer became a preacher at last. Remember, that's where his parents were wanting him to head, and he went to do law. But now he turns into this preacher at the very end. The old lawyer became a preacher at last, and he said, My poor, wicked, wayward, reckless boy, you have brought me down in sorrow to my grave. Promise me, my boy, promise me to meet me in heaven which is obviously going to take repentance, you understand. It's not just, you know, all of a sudden he decides he's going to heaven. He's got to turn away from the sin. Well, Sam fell to his knees, and he promised. Then he flew to a bar and begged for a glass of liquor. But as he started to drink it, he saw himself in the mirror. His hair was all matted and filthy, vomit, and other filth was all over his clothes, swollen lips. He smashed the glass on the floor, and he gave his life to Christ. A week later, he preached his first sermon. Jones became actually one of the most famous evangelists of the 19th century, except for Dwight Moody. He held crusades in major cities throughout all of America, winning an estimated 500,000 people to Christ. His most unusual revival began on March 5th, 1899, 124 years ago today. 124 years ago today. It was in Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. The mayor of Toledo was also named Sam Jones, if you can believe it, you know. I mean, God's got quite a sense of humor when you really start picking the whole thing apart. The mayor of Toledo was also named Sam Jones, and Mayor Jones introduced Evangelist Jones on the revival's opening night. The mayor did. The next mayoral election was only about a month away, and he enjoyed the exposure. But he didn't enjoy what the evangelist Jones had to say. For the preacher lost no time in attacking many of the mayor's policies. There were 700 saloons in Toledo. There were 150 gambling dens in Toledo and city administrators were unconcerned about it. The evangelist said that if the devil himself were mayor of Toledo, he wouldn't change a thing. It's just the way Satan would want it. He flailed away at alcohol and sin. I'll never forget the day I preached, one particular day I preached at my first church at Moravia. And there was, um, quite frankly, there were 
you know, some patriarchal and matriarchal figures in the church who are always griping and complaining about something, okay? And a lot of times, me. <laughs> and they didn't like what I was preaching or whatever. Gave them, about, gave them stuff about the Holy Spirit and so forth, and many of them just, you know, tried to tune the whole thing out. Anyway, this one patriarchal figure, and a much a pretty old man, okay? He comes up to me after the church service and he shook my hand firmly and he thanked me for the message. He said, good sermon, pastor, good sermon. And it, I had preached against alcohol, drugs, the typical sins that people think about even today, okay? He preached with the zeal of a lawyer, trying to save his client from the gallows. I preached, gave the truth about this stuff, and he was fine in congratulating me for this terrific sermon because, quite frankly, people, it was not his sin. He had others, and that's what he and other people were not, you know, they weren't in agreement with. But that's why. Because it hit their sin. It hit their sin. This was not his sin. So he thought it was a terrific sermon. Okay, I saw that right away. I didn't even have to hardly think about that. But at this, at this setting where this guy was preaching, men wept, women groaned, Children were spellbound. The seats were packed night after night. Hundreds, perhaps thousands, were converted during these Toledo meetings. But the mayor, he won re-election the next month by a huge margin, even while standing on his sin platform. Okay with all the saloons, okay with all of the uh, prostitution houses and so forth and so on. You know, it, it, that's, that's what the people wanted. So he was brought back into office for another term and he thought that was just terrific. He was standing on his own sin platform. And he got reelected. So nothing really changed. He went ahead and did what he would, had always been doing. And like I said, the, even the evangelist had said it. You know, if Satan were mayor, he wouldn't change anything. And that's pretty much what happened. It all began with a promise. And that is where we are right now in this John chapter 14. It begins with a promise. We've got to begin with a promise. And I'll show you that. Look at chapter 14. And let me just start at verse 1. Okay? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, 
We know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way refers to a road. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of progress. It's a route. It's an act. It's a distance that's being made up step by step by step. Okay? Truth is something that is not concealed. It's out in the open. By the way, the word truth is used 27 times in the Gospel of John. Oh, by the way, the word way is used 13 times in the Gospel of John. Truth is used 27. Life is used 43 times in the Gospel of John. Okay? And cometh is used 41 times in the Gospel of John. Praise the name of Jesus. If ye had known me, Jesus said, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake." Glory to God. I have often, uh, this is not original to me, but I have often followed in the footsteps, I guess, of doing this particular thing or saying this particular thing. A lot of times we'll tell people that if they're looking for the perfect church, and they think they found one, don't join it. Don't join it, because you'll only mess it up. If it's a perfect church, and you're thinking about getting into it, and getting active in it, and so forth, you're just going to mess it up. And then you're not going to be happy with it in the, in the second place. And before you know it, you're out of there anyway. When we're dressed up and on our best behavior, it's easy to forget that we used to be sinners, but we have been saved by grace. <laughs> Glory to God. The late Ray Stedman was leading his church through a study of 1 Corinthians. He read them the list of the kinds of sinners that will not inherit the kingdom of God, as Paul states it in 1 Corinthians. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, the covetous, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. Now, I'm not making any of that up. That's right out of the Bible. Okay? And then he said, quoting Paul, and such were some of you. In other words, you know what I'm talking about because you used to fall into some of these categories. 
And with that, he asked those in his congregation who could identify with one or more of these sins to stand to their feet. And no one moved. No one moved until one saintly woman stood up. And Stedman said that one by one, people began to stand. Before it was over, two-thirds of those present were on their feet. Two-thirds. They had a, an invitation, as it turned out, that night. And a young man came forward and said, I've been coming to this church for a long time. And everyone looks so holy and so good. They sang, they prayed, they listened to the sermon. They all seemed so perfect that I just didn't think I belonged. But, he said, when you read that list from the Bible and I saw all those people stand, I said, I too have been there. I too have been there. I've done that. I'm, I'm not so different from them after all. Maybe this is my kind of place. The body of Christ is not intended to be a museum for saints. And that's the way a lot of people look at it, believe me. That's the way a lot of people look at it. It's intended to be a place of healing for those that are coming away from their sin. Okay? Or that God knows will come away from their sin. Amen? It's, in a sense, a hospital for sinners. And that's why so many of us feel at home, because we want to be touched by God. We want to be changed. We want to be closer to him and the way he wants us to be. Praise God. And, and this is what has always amazed me about so many people who seem so intent on staying away from the truth. You know, when we first started after leaving Slatelik and we started at the League of Arts, uh, or I started, well, not the League of Arts, but the Sportsman's Club, and then the League of Arts, we had about 40 or 50 people. There are a lot of people that are absolutely insistent on staying away. And yet, it's what they need. It's what you need or you wouldn't still be here, okay? But it's also what is needed by so many others. It's what they all need. And then, and then yet they scream, perhaps out of the side of their mouth or something, you know, no, I don't. I don't need that. I don't want that. I want something else. But God promises it. You need me more than you will ever know. Take a look at this. I'll just share it with you. Uh, the scripture coming up, of course, it says, well, let me read the scripture first. Yes, let's, no, I think I did that. Well, let's go back over it. Okay, look at verse, um, no, we didn't read that part. Go back to 12, 12, 13, 14, okay? There's the promise of miracles. And here it is. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. And it's all due to the power of an indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if ye shall ask anything in my name, I 
will do it. I told you there are four prominent promises. And we saw the first one when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody is going to get to the Father except through me. Praise God. The second promise is mentioned here in verses 12 to 13. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a promise, people. That's a promise. So if what you are thinking God should be doing, and it's God's not doing it, or perhaps he's waiting for a while until it's the right time, okay, then it could be that you're off base or that, like I said, maybe it's going to have to wait till a later time. God doesn't just do stuff because we say so. Okay? It's got to be his will. It's got to be his will. And it might be that it isn't his will yet. Okay? Because someone once said, yeah, the answer to prayer is either yes or no or maybe. <laughs> or down the road. Or something like that. Because it may not be the right time for what God wants us to have, okay? But he's going to do it. He says he's going to do it, all right? Praise God, he says he's going to do it. God promises it, all right? Ask anything in his name that is his will, and it's yours. Now, you may not see it happen immediately. Maybe it's going to have to wait a week or two or a month or two or a year or two or decade or two or whatever, Right? But God said, I'm with you on that. This is what I want to have happen in your life, in your family's life, etc. Okay? It says in verse 13, it says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Prayer in the name of Jesus involves at least two things praying in harmony with his person his character, and his will. And secondly, praying with faith in him and his authority and with the desire to glorify both the Father and the Son. Praying in the name of Jesus therefore means that Jesus will honor any prayer that he would have prayed himself. There is no limit to the power of prayer when addressed to Jesus or to the Father in faith according to his desire. Like I said, it might be that he wants it to wait for a while till something else happens, but, but he says you can count on it. Okay, you can count on it. So, first is his promise of his soon return. That we see in the, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Okay? Secondly, there's the promise of miracles. These are the prominent miracles that I'm that's in the title, okay? That's, this is what we're talking about. Four prominent promises, okay? And this one here is the second, the one about miracles. Praise God. Second, the uh, promise of miracles. And, and then, and we already saw that, now then it says, then there's the promise of the Spirit. Look at verses 15 and following. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, okay, another one, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. 
but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's the indwelling spirit. Praise God. Uh, Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you uh, as a blessing, basically, is what he's referring to. Yet a little while, the world sees me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Verse 20, at that day, ye shall know that I am in the Father. Jesus said, I am. And I've told you before, when, when Moses was, you know, well, how am I going to get the people out of bondage? God, I don't even know your name. And God said, I am who I am. Or I am that I am. That's his name. He just is. He just is. And at that day, verse 20 says, ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. We're talking Pentecost here, people. We're talking Pentecost. And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. This is verse 21. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And Judas said unto him, now this is not Iscariot, this is not the the betrayer, But he says, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? In other words, what would the world need to do in order to be involved in this thing? (laughs) Repent. Amen? Repent. Enter into the peace that passes all understanding. Amen. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, watch this, he will keep my words. In other words, he will obey me. And my father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the fathers which sent me. So don't go dividing this thing up saying we don't have to listen to Jesus. We just There are churches that do that, by the way. There are whole denominations that do that. We don't have to really listen to Jesus. We have to go back to the Father. We have to listen to the Father. But the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Amen? And the word which ye hear is not mine. They sound so self-righteous. Well, they sound so righteous. But it's self-righteousness, you know, when they say we don't really have to listen to what Jesus says. We listen to what the Father says. There's whole cults based on that. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Watch, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whosoever or whatsoever I have said unto you. Praise the name of Jesus. You see, it's so important to have a goal, if I could call it that, to have 
something that you're heading towards. To know that God said this and God said that and that's why you listen to Jesus because God gave Jesus the things to say, etc. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Praise God. Stories told of a mother. She had four young children, if you can picture that. And she was running errands on Saturday. She had groceries to buy and dry cleaning to pick up and a whole long to-do list to tackle. She really had her work cut out for her that day. And after a couple of hours, the troops became restless, referring to the kids, and two were fighting and two were crying and in between traffic lights, she was trying her best to placate everybody and then it hit her, the kids are hungry. The kids are hungry. We'll get some lunch. <laughs> I tell that to the dog. Hey, come on, let's get in the car. Let's go get some lunch. <laughs> I'm telling you, that guy. Anyway, we'll get some lunch. And then, and then we can finish our errands. And she drove into Wendy's with one mission in mind, to feed her children. She ordered fun meals all the way around, drove to the window, picked up the food, and before she was back on the freeway, one of the kids began to wail. I didn't get my burger. I didn't get my burger. There's no burger in here in this Happy Meal. And mom quickly retraced her route. She wheeled up to the fast food restaurant, marched inside with her incomplete fun meal in its Wendy's bag. My girl didn't get a burger. She's just being kind of calm about it at first. She doesn't stay real calm. But she says, my girl didn't get a burger when we came through the drive-thru just a few minutes ago. Put a burger in her bag, please. And the girl behind the counter just sort of stood there and stared at her. Maybe you didn't hear me, the mother said, a little more firmly this time. Okay? I need one more burger. She's trying to, you know, when, when they don't get it, speak more slowly. <laughs> I didn't get a burger. <laughs> okay? And put it in the bag, and I'm in a hurry, so let's get moving. I've got four hungry kids here in the car, and still no response from the employee. The mother's patience was just about gone, and her personality, the negative side of her personality, kind of kicked in. I said, I need another burger. Put it in this bag right now. And without saying a word, the young lady at the counter reached back, grabbed a burger, dropped it into the bag. Thank you very much, the mother said, a little bit sarcastically. Okay, And she turned and walked out of McDonald's. The initial trip had been to Wendy's, but that's why she had Wendy's bags and Wendy's everything. But when she tried to get the other burger, she didn't notice that she was at McDonald's. <laughs> it's kind of amazing what can be accomplished with a clear-cut sense of purpose. I, I know of, of no one who ever rivaled Jesus Christ in this regard for having a sense of purpose. 
Jesus always knew his purpose. Always. He came for one reason and one reason only. And he never lost sight of his mission. And those who hindered him, even if they were friends, they soon understood that his focus was unwavering and very, very strong. The promise of purpose. Okay? That's the third one. The fourth one, four prominent promises. Okay? The fourth one is the promise of comfort. You see, it's not a matter of luck. It, that's so crucial to get a handle on. You just, there is no such thing as luck. I mean, how many times have you heard someone explain their good fortune by saying, just lucky, I guess, or shake their head at some misfortune saying, just my luck, and, you know, be negative about it. If I didn't, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. You ever hear anybody say that? Do you ever say that? <laughs> okay, maybe so. Although I've heard both responses given, and I personally do not believe in luck. I believe in the sovereignty of an almighty God. And while we assume the races of life will be won by the swift or the, the bread or the gain will go to the wise, this is not always the case. Unlikely people end up accomplishing great things as often as truly gifted people fail. Happens both ways. God is sovereign, but he is not predictable. He is allowed to do things differently from day to day. I mean, it's still going to accomplish his purpose, okay, but he doesn't have to do exactly the same thing every day, and that's a lot of people fall into that trap. Well, it's not going like it went yesterday, you know. Well, you know, God doesn't have to do it exactly like you say. Unlikely people end up accomplishing great things about as often as truly gifted people can fail. God is sovereign, but he is not predictable. He elevates some and humbles others for no visible reason. But you can be sure that whatever the circumstance, our God is in control. Let me illustrate this real quickly. All right, Who would have thought that Wilma Rudolph, a woman who wore leg braces throughout her childhood, would grow up to be one of the most famous female athletes of her day. Or that eccentric tinkerer, William Sloan Sr., a man whose neighbors laughed at his foolish inventions. He would become a millionaire by inventing a valve that would make toilets flush. Something as simple as that brought him millions. Who would have predicted that Bob Love, former uh, NBA great with the Chicago Bulls, would overcome a speech impediment that rendered him virtually unemployable to become the head of community relations for his former team, making speeches all over the country? Would you figure that to be chance? Would you figure that to be happenstance? Do you figure that to be luck or do you figure it out to be something else? 
And I suggest to you, it's something else. It's God. God can do what he wants, where he wants, how he wants, as many times as he wants, or do it differently. (laughs) That's why I say, predictable in the sense that he's going to be in control, but not predictable the way we think he ought to do it and be in control. All right, see what I'm saying? All right. What did Isaiah say about this one, about this comforter? See, this is the promise of comfort. If you'll turn, uh, I know we all know it, and we, and we know it's, um, uh, you know, probably even know it by heart. But turn back to Isaiah chapter 9. Let me show you this. You can read it along with me. I mean, just watch it. Just look at it. Isaiah chapter 9. Remember when sometimes we used to say, uh, and other pastors have done it too, you know, read along with me. Go ahead and read. But now we've got so many different translations. And it would be, this person says this, and this person says that, and it would never jive. But uh, chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will, not maybe, not might, will perform this. Amen? Back over to John chapter 14. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. It's a quiet rest. It's to be set at one again. It isn't just a lack of conflict. You know, it's, it's, it's God. It's rightness with God, okay? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. In other words, I don't give the same kind of peace. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now, I said unto you, I go away. Remember the first promise? What was it? About returning. But before he returns, he's got to go away. Amen? He's got to go away. So we come to this now. If ye love me, ye would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. This is about it, fellas. For the prince of this world comes, Satan that is, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise 
let us go hence. Okay? John's gospel is rather unique in this way because as they are leaving the uh, upper room, he goes through a whole lot of teaching. And it's right here in the Bible. While he's, while he's walking, while he's traveling, while they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? Praise the Lord. Rise from a posture of death. That's what it means. Arise and let us go hence. To rise up from a posture of sleep or ultimately death. Oh yes, it would be a pre-resurrection experience. These prominent, these prominent promises are a pre-resurrection experience. Okay? It's not the resurrection itself. It, it's got to come before it. Praise God. Praise God that it is the fullness of the promise and the promise of fullness. I got to say that again because you got to be sure that you got it, right? That is the fullness of the promise and the promise of fullness. Both ways, both things. Yes, these were certainly four prominent promises. The life of Jesus living within. And to be more specific and perhaps more accurate, the life of the Holy Spirit indwelling. That's what it comes down to. And that's still having Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit living within us. Praise the name of Jesus. Four prominent promises. Amen? There you go. Chapter 14. Uh, absolutely crucial that we see how this all fits together and how God is so merciful that he's willing to promise these things. Now, if he promised them, what does that mean? It means they're real. And it means they're going to happen. Okay? And it means God's the one that's going to get the glory, not you. I mean, you'll get the promise, but God gets the glory. Glory be to God. Amen? Everybody see this? Praise God. Glory be to God. So I don't know exactly where we'll move to next, but we've, we're working our way. And by the time we get to uh, Palm Sunday, we will have looked at many of these things, if not, well, I don't think all of them, but many of these things. And I'll try to mention the ones we don't cover so you get an idea about that. You can read that for yourself as far as that goes. But there's, there's much here. There's much here, okay? But it's all leading to one thing, and that's the cross. Amen? It's the cross of Calvary. It's Jesus who loves you so much that he was willing to suffer and die to take away not just the sin of the world. We, people say that, oh, the sin of the world, the sin of the world. Your sin, people. Your sin. My sin. Our sin. Amen? He came to take that away. And when you come and you let him do that, oh boy, are we ready for the resurrection? <laughs> Amen? Praise the name of Jesus. Father, I do want to thank you, dear God, for this time here today. You have given it, and you are truly worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Hallelujah.
We thank you, and we do desire, dear God, for your truth to just uh, come forth from every word we've looked at here today, and that we would see the power that is in the promises. Hallelujah. And, and the power that's in the promises is that they are going to be fulfilled. Glory be to God. We want to thank you, we praise you, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.